Like Jerry, my dad used to love to tell stories and he loved to tell jokes. But most of the time, he couldn't get through the joke. <laughs> By the time he got to the punchline, he was laughing so hard that my mother would have to finish the joke. <laughs> and his favorite story was the story of this ventriloquist. And every time the ventriloquist would get down on his luck financially, he would take his dog into the bar and sit the dog up on the counter and make the dog talk. And he would sell the dog. And one day, he was particularly down financially, and he took the dog and set him on the bar. And sure enough, the dog began to talk. The people gathered around, and one man was just fascinated by it. He said to him, I, I've never seen a dog that can talk. Would you sell me that dog? The ventriloquist said, well, sure, you give me $500, and I'll sell this dog to you. He said, well, I can only give you $200 today. I'll have to give you the 300 later. He said, well, you go ahead and take the dog, give me the 200, and you come back and give me the 300. Now, about this time in the story, my dad would start laughing, and he couldn't get through the rest of the story. <laughs> Day or two later, the man came back and said, I want my money back. This dog hasn't said one word. About that time, the dog spoke up and said, and I'm not going to talk to you, give him that $300. <laughs> Oh, he loved to tell stories. He talked about the porcupine who backed into the cactus bush and said, is that you, mama? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, he loved to tell stories. <clears throat> David, you reminded me this morning of the story of the man who, who died and went to heaven. And when he got there, there was a long line at the gate. And he got in the line and stood there for a while. He got frustrated. And he tapped the guy in front of him and said, what's this line for? He said, this line is for henpecked husbands. <clears throat> well, he didn't like that much. So he looked down the wall. There was another gate. And the line down there was shorter. So he walked down and stood in that line for a while. And he got frustrated. And he tapped the guy in front of him and said, what's this line for? And he said, I don't know. My wife just told me to stand here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh. <clears throat> May I ask how that reminded you of him? Something he said. Oh, okay. <laughs> Something he said this morning that triggered that. Oh, my, 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 my. Well, I don't know about you, but between Brother Jerry talking about the glory and Brother David talking about humility, it's just all flowed together so beautifully. How about you? I've been blessed, and I was reminded this morning, I was telling David, I was reminded of the song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Any of you remember that old song? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Remember it? I, thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. That's, that's what I, I heard the Lord speaking in my heart. Uh, this morning. Lift your voice in the spirit. 
Moshe diki simbriana nakasayatsa. Kela mokosondi ashta. Le sombra kasata nakasiti ashta nakasia. Holy miyana nakasati ananakasabra kasana Kariata nakasa. For I am the potter, and you are the clay. And I will mold you and make you. And as you, as you humble yourself before me, I will show you my glory. Praise God. I was just, uh, we're talking in the back room just a few moments ago. When you pray in the spirit, when you pray in tongues, always stop afterwards and pray in your own language. Don't just get half a loaf. When you pray in tongues, stop and pray in your own language. Because when you pray in tongues, you're edified, you're built up, but you don't have information. So what did Paul say? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. So when you pray in tongues, stop and then pray in your own language. So God can give you new insights, new ideas, new and innovative ways of doing things like never before. It's a very valuable lesson that I learned very early in my life. Not only how to pray in the spirit, but then how to stop and pray in your own language and allow God to respond back to you. One of two things will invariably happen. You'll either begin to say to God what you've been wanting to say, and you've not known how to say it, or you'll get God's response back to you. When our firstborn child, Richard Orrell, died in the intensive care unit in my arms, I didn't ask why. I prayed in tongues. And then as I prayed in English, I heard myself say this. I know something about this that you don't know. That was the interpretation from my tongue. And it changed everything. And that's how I got through what we went through in losing our firstborn child. It was praying in tongues and interpreting back to our own mind. Uh, if you have your, uh, something to write on, you have your smartphone or your dumb phone or whichever phone you have. <laughs> our, I, I was up early this morning praying and uh, I wrote this down. Uh, I wrote this down on a piece of paper for you concerning your ministry, our ministry. Our ministry is in bringing the power of God into people's lives at the very point of their need. That's our calling as ministers. Let me say it again. Our ministries are in bringing the power of God into people's lives at the very point of your need. My father used to say to me, Richard, God will meet you at the point of your need, right where you need him the most. <clears throat> then I wrote this down. Our authority to minister comes from a Christ-centered calling to bring the word of God to people and to do the works of the Lord and even greater works than these, according to John 14, 12. Our authority to minister comes from a Christ-centered calling to bring the word of God to people and to do the works of the Lord and even greater works than these because Jesus went to his Father, John 14, 12. <clears throat> a leader, and we're all leaders, a leader is not enamored with himself or with herself. A leader does not need an entourage. 
We don't need a huge circle of people around us telling us how great we are. A leader should be accountable to someone. Pastor David was talking about mentoring today. My father was my mentor all of my life. I shared a little bit about that with you yesterday morning, how he kept me on the straight and the narrow. And if, if I said something on television or something that he thought was not quite scriptural, he would call me and he would say, son, get your Bible and come on up to the house tomorrow. Well, I knew what that meant. I meant I, I, meant I was going to the woodshed. <laughs> he didn't want me to veer off to the left, didn't want me to veer off to the right. He wanted me to stay right down the middle. And he used to say to me, son, if it's not in the Bible, don't do it. And now these were days when there were some strange manifestations happening in some churches. And he said, avoid that. Stay away from that. He said, those things will come and go. They are inevitable. He said, those aren't bad people. He said, just, just stay down the middle. So he poured that into me. And when he died... I no longer had a mentor on this earth. And he died when I was 61. And I felt like I needed someone to take that position. Now it's easy when you get into your later years and 60s that, that you don't need a mentor. That's not true. You need a mentor. So I called on a pastor from Southern California that I had known for 30 years. His father and my father were great friends and I trusted him and his ministry and I, I asked him if he would become my mentor. And he said, I'll pray about it and I'll call you back. He, a few days later he called back and said, yes, I prayed and the Lord encouraged me to become your mentor. So he has become my mentor. So for the past almost nine years now, he has been my mentor. And uh, I run things by him. I want to make sure that what I'm doing is in harmony with the word of God. And uh, it's good to have a mentor. If you don't have a mentor, you should. Paul said, we have not many fathers. He didn't say there aren't enough. He just said there aren't many. So that's, that's important. I, I wrote that down this morning. And then I wrote this down. A leader is a servant and not a superstar. Yeah, amen. Who picked up the sticks for the fire on the island of Melita? It was Paul. Paul was a servant. And if you want to lead, you better learn how to serve. And then finally, a leader is faithful in the small things because the big things are coming. David was faithful with the lion and the bear. And Goliath was on his way. So that, that came out of what Brother Jerry ministered and what Brother David ministered. And I thought I would share that with you. <clears throat> now, speaking of dogs, <clears throat> which we were a moment ago. <clears throat> um, I want to ask you a question. Um, does anyone here tonight, to this morning, feel that your life has gone to the dogs? I had a dog when I was a boy, and 
he was my best friend. And we, we ran and played together and we had a tremendous time. And I learned a lot about life from my dog. And then my dog died. And I had to take him to the vet to have him put down. And it broke my heart. I was a young teenager by that time and um, it really hurt me. And I vowed that I would never ever have another dog. I didn't want to be hurt like that again. And then years later, Lindsay and I got married and we began having children. And the children got old enough, they wanted dogs. And I put my foot down. I said, absolutely not. We're not going to have a dog. Well, I was right. We have two. <laughs> Both of them are chihuahuas. One was supposed to be five pounds. She's six pounds, but she's within that area. The other was supposed to be four pounds. She's 12. Uh, we don't think she's a purebred. We think she has some mix in her. And uh, uh, she's female. And uh, my, my daughters wanted a boy dog, but turned out to be a girl dog. So they named her Danny Zuko. <laughs> Why? We don't know. And so we're her, her name, we call her Zuko. But she has an underbite, so they call her Undybite. That's the nickname. And I said, okay, we have these dogs now. They are going to be outside dogs. You know where they live, they live in the house. I put my foot down and said, now this is the last straw. They will sleep in their own bed. They sleep on our bed. You can see the power and the authority that I have in my house. But I thought about the certain magnetism there is between human beings and dogs. And I think it's appropriate today in line with what we've been hearing from Brother Jerry and Brother David and I. I was looking online and I, I found something. I, I found something that I thought you would find interesting. I want to read it to you says that dogs increase our social action with other people. Think about how often you stop to talk to other people when you're out with your dog. Whether it's in the neighborhood on a walk or when you meet new friends at a dog park. A study at the Cummings School of Veterinarian Medicine at Tufts University concluded that people who have a strong attachment to a dog feel more connected in their human relationships and in their communities. The study also concluded that teenagers and young adults who grow up with a dog become more confident and empathetic. Now think about this in terms of your ministry. Uh, dogs keep you physically active. A Canadian study, Craig, shows that dog owners are more likely to engage in moderate physical activity than non-dog owners. In fact, dog owners walk an average of 300 minutes per week, while non-dog owners walk about 150 hour, uh, minutes a week. A dog's sense of smell can help keep you healthy. Dogs can be trained to detect cancer, according to a recent study. They also can help you avoid foods that you are allergic to. Several places in the United States 
train dogs specifically to, to, uh, tr to sniff the slightest trace of peanuts in a room. Peanuts is the number one allergy. And with so many children suffering from peanut allergies, this can be a godsend to families. Dogs can also be trained to, be, to alert diabetics to low blood sugar. Think about this in terms of your ministry, of, of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Dogs make us want to take care of them. There must be a reason why so many people become virtually addicted to dog videos and why puppies are so irresistible. <laughs> Conrad Lawrence, a 20th century Austrian zoologist, posted that a dog's face possesses an infant schema. A dog's facial features are known as social releasers and bring on an innate caregiver response in humans. Listen to this, a dog can make you more attractive to potential love interests. <laughs> Singles, listen up. A study conducted in the United Kingdom surveyed 700 people. 60% said that owning a dog can make a person seem more attractive. And 85% said that people seem more approachable when they're with a dog. The human canine attachment is centuries old. Dogs depend on us to take care of them and form strong bonds with their human owners. We thrive on their devotion to us, but in their own way, they're taking care of us as well. I was thinking of this in terms of, of us as ministers, and I was thinking in terms of the magnetism that there is between humans and dogs and how there is a magnetism between us as ministers and the Holy Spirit. You may wonder, how am I getting from the dogs over to the Holy Spirit? Well, doggone it, just wait a while. I'm slow, but I'm worth waiting on. Picture yourself in that room, that upper room, when 120 people came together and God or Jesus had said to them, go to an upper room and tarry, or which means wait, and come into one accord. Now, how long did that take? Well, I don't know. If they're typical Christians, it took a while <laughs> because we have a tendency to split hairs over doctrine. And uh, that's, uh, that's how that man had a church split on that island that Jerry was talking about. <laughs> He got split in the doctrine and had to, had, had to build another church. We, we, have a, we have a tendency as Christians, that's how denominations were formed, because there was a difference. You know, if, if I don't cross my T and dot my I the way somebody else does, then I'm cast out, you know, and, 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 and that's what happens. Well, if they, if they came into one accord, how long did that take? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that. But you've got to know it took a while uh, to, get, to get them to come together. When they did something happened that magnetized the room. First of all, there was a sound. Whenever we come together, there's gonna to be a sound. A sound from heaven. What we're having happening here in this conference is we're hearing a sound and it's penetrating, it's getting deep inside of us. What Brother Jerry shared yesterday, 
uh, and, and what Brother David shared, uh, that's, all, that's all part of the sound that we're hearing. There was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And then there appeared above their heads, as it were, tongues of fire. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And there was something about the magnetism of what happened. That when Peter walked out of that room, he had been transformed. He had been changed so that he could do what he was called to do when he got outside of that room. With all those people who had come to Jerusalem at that time for that great celebration. And he spoke. He spoke with a great confidence. He was confident in the message that God gave him because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important before, before we minister as ministers that we spend time praying in tongues and praying back in our own understanding. It's critical because when we do that, God will then fine-tune what we're going to say. And we're not married to our notes. Now, I'm not against having notes. I have some notes this morning, but I'm not married to them. Okay? We should not be married to our notes. We, we, ought, to be, we, we ought to be in a position where we allow the Holy Spirit to move in us even while we're ministering. So we have the freedom. So we're not married to what we have to read everything that we do. I have no trouble with notes. I, I use notes sometimes, sometimes I don't. But I'm not married to them. So Peter had a confidence because he had been filled with the Holy Spirit and he had a connection. He had a connection. He spoke from his heart. He spoke from his spirit. And that's what people felt. They felt the magnetism of his spirit. When you and I preach and when we teach, there must be something coming out of us it's not just words. It's the Holy Spirit coming through us, which arrests the attention of people. And their message, or the message that Peter gave, caused them to be pricked in their consciences so that they said, What must we do? There is a magnetism in the Holy Spirit. And it brought compassion out of Peter and it brought conversion in their lives. Jesus had said to them in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, Jerusalem represents your home, your family. Judea represents the places that you frequent, where you go. Samaria represents the hard places where it's difficult and the whole world. And he sent them to that room so they could be filled with the Holy Spirit and come out as different people. I was uh, telling Pastor David just before or between the services, uh, I was just a young teenager at the time and God had spoken to my father and said, build me a university, build it on my authority, build it on the Holy Spirit and raise up your students to hear my voice and to go where my light is seen dim, my voice is heard small, my power is not known even to the uttermost bounds of the earth and their work will exceed yours. And in that I'm well pleased. And I can remember when he was able to pay money down on a piece of land on the south side of the city, outside the city limits. 
And by the way, someone who has chest pain on the right side, right here uh, below the breastbone, you're being healed. You've been having sharp pains for some time right here on the right side. I don't know who that is, but whoever you are, if you'll just stand up, you're gonna find those pains are leaving you right now. It's gonna be gone in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Somebody give praise to the Lord this morning. By the way, you always have time for a gift of the Spirit. Whenever God manifested, don't ever say, not now, God. <laughs> I've done that at times. It doesn't work out too well. <laughs> so we put my bicycle in the back of the car and we drive out to that piece of land and I'm riding around the rabbits, birds and squirrels and trees. There's no buildings. There's nothing out there. And he's walking and praying and I can hear him. He's groaning. And all of you know what I'm talking about. Because in the projects that God has given you, many of you have, have groaned through it <laughs> I, I, or you're groaning now. When the Lord spoke to him and said, do you have the Holy Spirit? Well, the mere fact that God would say, do you have the Holy Spirit made my dad wonder. And then the Lord said, do you know what you have? Well, the mere fact he could say, do you know what you have, must have meant that my father did not know what he had. And he said, well, Lord, I guess not. And the Lord said to him, you have the unlimited power of Christ in you. You have Jesus' other self. When Jesus was on the earth, he was limited to time and space. But the Holy Spirit is not limited to time and space. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. You have the unlimited power of Christ in you. And if you will begin to pray in tongues and interpret back to your mind as the Spirit gives you the utterance, I'll show you how to build a university. Now, you have to understand he had just paid down on a piece of land. There were no buildings. There were no, there were no students. There was no faculty. There was no administration. There was no curriculum. There was nothing. And yet, as he prayed in tongues and interpreted back as the Spirit gave him the utterance, in the flash of a second, God showed him how to build a university. Now, that's the power. That's the magnetism there is in the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so critical that we pray in tongues and we stop and pray in our own language. And I know that it's true. I can prove that it's true because it's there. I got my bachelor's degree there after I gave my heart to Christ. I came back away from another school. I got my bachelor's degree. I got my master's degree. Then I earned my doctorate there. And then I served, as a, uh, I served as a vice president. I served as an executive vice president for a number of years. And then for 15 years, I served as president. So I know it's true. I was on television one night. We're doing our shows live. And I said, I got my, uh, I don't, you know, just came out. I said, I've got my, I got my bachelor's degree here. <laughs> and then I thought, what did I just say? And I said, I got my master's and my doctorate. 
And the next day, one of my deans came to me and said, you know, I've searched all the curriculum. I can't find any bastard's degree that we have here. Um, the things you say, you know. But, um, but that, that all happened because of praying in tongues. And then praying back with the interpretation of tongues. Um, if you get anything from me today... Get that. Pray in tongues and stop and pray in your own language. Never forget this. The power of the Holy Spirit is real. And there's a magnetism. Remember, remember what Peter had been through. Remember all that he had faced. And now when he came out of that room, he had been literally transformed by the magnetism and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you some of the effects that affected him and will affect you and me. Number one, the Holy Spirit leads to confidence and courage in the face of what you're facing. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit leads to confidence and courage in the face of opposition, to help you stand up to the winds of doctrine, to help you stand up to apostate conditions, and to help you tell the truth of the word of God no matter what you're facing. Uh, I remember uh, when the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm gonna send you to Niger, which is a country in, the, in northern central Africa. And I, I began to study Niger and discovered that it is a, it is a country that's 99% Muslim, probably 99.9% Muslim. And I, I, I made some phone calls and I, I discovered that no one had ever been allowed to have a healing crusade in Niger. My good friend Reinhard Bonnke had tried for years to get into Niger and the government would not let him or anyone else in. And I was praying in tongues and interpreting back to my mind. And when I did, the Lord gave me an idea. And that's often what happens when you pray in tongues and then you pray in your own language, God gives you an idea. And an idea is worth millions. He said, here's how you get in. You contact the office of the president and you tell them that you will bring doctors and nurses and medicines and food. Because Niger is one of the two or three poorest countries in the world, right up there with Haiti. And so we made contact with the president's office, told him who we were, and that I wanted to come and bring doctors, nurses, medicines, set up clinics, and bring food to distribute. And I want to have a healing crusade. And they let me in. I was the first person that was allowed to come into Niger. At that time, there were 5,000 known Christians in the whole country. And uh, we had a contact there through an American missionary who somehow got in and had set up a little school. And so we began making our plans and we went in to have a healing crusade. When I got there, we're driving through the city and the Muslim mullahs were on the loudspeaker systems and, and they were speaking in their language. The, the national language is French. The local language is called Hausa. So I was interpreted both in French and in Hausa. 
And I said to my driver, what are they saying? They were speaking uh, in, in uh, I think it was in French. And they were saying, do not go to Richard Roberts' crusade. There will be no miracles. Well, I just sort of laughed because I knew what was going to happen. And uh, before the crusade began, well, I beg your pardon. It was the next day. I should, I should back up here. Uh, the first night of the crusade, there were nine blind people that were healed. And the Muslim mullah stopped talking about me after the word spread about the miracles. Well, the next day, I got a call from the president's office to come in to see him. And so I, I took all our doctors and nurses that were with me, and, and I took uh, people that were distributing the food. We all went to see the president, about 20 of us. We're all gathered in his office. And, uh, of course, the national language is French. So he was speaking in French. There was an interpreter there, and interpreting everything that he said and then interpreting in English back to him, uh, my English back to him. And it was all very uh, proper with a lot of pomp and circumstance, as president's offices often are. A lot of rigmarole you have to go through just to get into the door. And we were there for maybe 15 or 20 minutes, and, and uh, I explained to him the mission that we were on, and, and he wanted to meet all the doctors, and we told them about the surgeries that we were performing and people that were lined up for medical care and that we had brought medicines and, and vitamin supplements and that we were setting up clinics and we were uh, distributing food, and it was all fine. And then I said to him, Mr. President, would it be all right with you if I laid hands on you and prayed over you and prayed over the nation? Now, he's a Muslim. And he looked at me through the interpreter and said, yes. And so I laid my hands on him and prayed the prayer of faith. Prayed over him and prayed over the nation. And then we had done all that we could do. So it was time to leave. So we got up to go. And as we started to walk out the door, the president said something to the interpreter. And the interpreter said, Dr. Roberts, would you let the rest go? And would you remain here with the president? I said, okay. So everyone left except me and the president and the interpreter. And I wondered, what's, what's going to happen now? You know, I just prayed for the man. Uh, are they going to take me out and execute me? I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. The president began speaking in absolutely perfect English. Here's what he said. He said, there's something different about you. What is it? And I said, well, sir, it's not me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, my wife has had a stroke. <coughs> would you go to my home and would you go into our bedroom and would you lay hands on her and would you pray over her for her healing? I said, yes, sir, I will. He said, my presidential limousine will pick you up in front of my office here in five minutes. And I got in that limousine and drove with the driver who got his back healed on the way to the president's home. <laughs> and went into his bedroom and got up on the bed with his wife and with his daughter and laid hands on her and prayed. Now all that happened because I was open to the Holy Spirit because I prayed in tongues and I prayed in English and God gave me understanding of what to do and what to say when I got there. I don't know about you, but so much of the time I don't know what to do. I'm not that smart. I just don't know. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly what I'm to do. And he knows exactly what you are to do. And if you will pray in tongues 
and then stop and pray in your own language, God will give you ideas, he'll give you witty inventions, he'll give you new and innovative ways of doing things like never before. There's a freshness, there's a magnetism. Well, if there's a magnetism and, an, and, and a, a communion between a person and a dog, how much more is there between us and the Holy Spirit? There's so much that the Holy Spirit wants to do if we'll just yield ourselves in the name of the Lord and if we will do what we are commanded to do. Here's something else about Peter. He seemed to forget what had happened. He got a spirit of forgetfulness. Everybody has a past. Everybody has something that's happened to them. You do, I do, everybody does. In uh, the old Louis L'Amour westerns, I used to love to read Louis L'Amour westerns, uh, he would say, yes, he's a man who's riding with a secret. A lot of us are riding with a secret. A lot of us have something that's happened in our lives somewhere and, 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 and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to forge ahead because it's easy for us to think because something has happened, because something has, has hit us, because we've been accused of something or, or something has happened, our fault, somebody else's fault, nobody's fault, but it's happened and we feel like we have become unqualified to do what we're called to do. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure that must have been difficult for Peter. I mean, look, just, just a few days earlier, he had denied that he even knew who Jesus was and cursed doing it. That's right. Now he's the one who's preaching the message on the day of Pentecost. He got a spirit of forgetfulness. <laughs> he forgot the past. Imagine the woman in the Bible that Jesus had an encounter with. When all the men were pricked in their consciences after what Jesus had written in the dirt, I don't know what he wrote. He might have been written, he might have been writing down the names of the women that those men had been with. I don't know. It doesn't say. But imagine when they dropped the, the stones that they were going to throw at her, and Jesus says to her, uh, Where are your accusers? And she says, there, there are none, Lord. Then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Suddenly, she had a past. Her present became her past and her life was transformed. She had to make a decision. Was she going to forge ahead with her life or was she going to park by her failure? You know, and we need to put up some don't park here signs in our lives. That we don't park by the failures. Anybody here ever made a mistake? Put up your hand. Ever made more than one mistake? Put up both hands. David, I won't ask you to raise your feet, I promise. But you know, you don't wake up in the morning and say, hot dog Jesus, I'm gonna make a mistake today. <laughs> no, you usually find out along the way. Well, that was a mistake. I didn't mean for that to happen. You know, most of, the, most of the mistakes we make are not intentional. But somehow we think that that unqualifies us for the ministry and Satan comes in and puts guilt and fear and anxiety and worry and suddenly we think we can't do what God's called us to do. Well, that's not true. Paul said, I, I put the past in the past. Look what he had to overcome. He stood by and held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. He was an accessory to murder and would have gone to prison. 
in our society. And yet he put the past in the past and said, I reach out toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And a lot of us need to bury the ghost and then not dig it up. Stop digging up bones. Allow the power and the magnetism of the Holy Spirit to, to, to send you forward. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But you know, the thing that I love the most about God is when I make a mistake, I can get on my knees and I can repent. And he said, if I'll do that, that he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's very, very powerful. And, and I, I deal with many ministers who come to me. As, as I'm now nearing my 70th birthday, I'm having a lot of ministers that want me to mentor them. And they come to me telling me of, of their hurts and, and what has happened to them and, and mistakes that they have made and how they, how, you know, they want to, you said yesterday, how they, they want to quit on Monday morning, you know. But we, we, we've, got to, we've got to have an encouraging word. Not a discouraging word, but an encouraging word. David had a way of saying, uh, that is King David, uh, had a way of saying, you know, search me, God. See if there's anything in me that's not of you. Pluck it out. I, I want it out of my life. You know, he had a little self-examination uh, in his life. Um, the Holy Spirit leads you to a focus on Christ and the gospel. Within minutes, there was a total change in Peter's life. And that change caused something to happen in that crowd. Now, Peter more than likely had gone to Hebrew school. And the scriptures had been poured into him. Because when the crowd said, what's this? He immediately said, this is that. Which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. On the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. When, when I was a boy, my father sat me on his lap and taught me the Bible. And even though I went away from God all through my teenage years and went away from my parents and went away from the ministry, those scriptures were still in my heart. So when I gave my heart to Christ, all those scriptures that I had learned as a boy came flooding up. I was not aware of how much Bible I knew. Well, Peter, it just came up out of his spirit. He knew the word of God. And the people heard that word. And it transformed their lives so much that 3,000 gave their hearts to the Lord that day. And the church of Jesus Christ was born. So the Holy Spirit led to fruit in the ministry. What bothers me about many churches today is that they give people an opportunity to join the church but they don't give them an opportunity to accept Christ as their savior. Now, thank God for the Baptists. There's gonna be an altar call in every Baptist church in America the day after tomorrow. But in many Pentecostal circles and charismatic circles, there's no opportunity. They preach the message and they give the closing and the announcements and that's it. Give people an opportunity to respond. Give them an opportunity to receive Christ. Well, what if nobody shows up? Well, what if they do? 
Why would you be embarrassed? Why would we be embarrassed? We should give people an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior. And as I said yesterday, what would happen if every pastor in America and Canada this Sunday at the end of the service said, is, is any sick among you? Let me call for the elders of the church and let's anoint, let us anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise you up. I think we'd have a salvation healing revival throughout the land. Give people an opportunity. It's not just us up here giving our message. It's transferring that magnetism that's in us into their lives. I shared this with the pastors in India last week because many of them don't ever give an invitation. They just preach their message and that's it. Now, let me give you some, some points to write down about what the Holy Spirit has done in my life and what he'll do in your life. Number one, the Holy Spirit will help keep you continually aware of his indwelling presence. The Holy Spirit will keep you continually aware of his indwelling presence. Don't tell me you can eat strawberry ice cream and feel it going down and you can't feel the Holy Spirit. You'll feel his indwelling presence. And he will affect the way you think and the way you live. Second, he will eliminate the possibility of selfishness entering into your prayer life. Because you're praying in the will of God. When you pray in tongues, you are praying in the perfect will of God. That's true. You don't know what you're saying because you're praying the mysteries of God as Paul taught us. And that's why interpreting is so important. That's why praying in tongues is just one half of the loaf. You've got to take the next step and pray in your own language as well. But the Holy Spirit eliminates the possibility of selfishness in our prayers because we are praying in the perfect will of God. You see, when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence in our hearts. Actually, not in our hearts. That's really not, that's really not correct. He takes residence up here in the solar plexus area. Because remember, Jesus said, out of your belly, not your heart, out of your belly, right here, shall flow rivers of living water. This is where you feel. People use the, well, mis, misuse the term, I feel in my heart. No, you don't feel in your heart, you feel here. When you feel happy, you feel it right here. When you feel sad, you feel it right here. This is where the Holy Spirit lives. He doesn't live here, he lives here. He doesn't live here, doesn't live here. Ouch, that hurt. Uh, <laughs> he lives here. <laughs> he lives here. And when you get born again, when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence. Well, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. And a person talks. So what is he doing? Well, Romans 8.26 tells us what he's doing. He's interceding. And that's a big word for praying. He's praying. 
What's he praying? He's praying seven days a week, 24 hours a day in the perfect will of God. Thereby, when we tap into his prayer and begin to speak in another tongue as the Holy Spirit gives us utterance, we are praying in God's perfect will. You never have to be concerned about what you're praying when you're praying in tongues because you're praying in God's perfect will. And then you can stop and begin to pray in your own language and you get ideas and insights and concepts and new and innovative ways of doing things. Here's another thing. The Holy Spirit builds up your most holy faith. That's in Jude 20. You get built up, you get edified. You get a feeling, you get a high that nothing in this world can match. Okay? The Holy Spirit stimulates your faith so much so that you're able to trust God more fully than you've ever been able to trust him before. The Holy Spirit provides a way for you to pray about things that you may not even be aware of. And the Holy Spirit helps you to submit every area of your life to God. If I had but one opportunity to minister to ministers, I would say to them that after my salvation and after learning how to be a tither, the most important thing I have learned is how to pray in tongues and interpret back to my mind. Because I get spirit led direction. I know how to live. I know what to do because so much of the time I don't know what to do. I remember I was called to pray for a man who was in the hospital and I went up to the hospital room and he was in a coma and there were tubes in and out of his body. There were machines attached to him and his wife and three, three daughters were there and they were just weeping and he was near death. And I walked into that room and they looked at me as if I was a life preserver in the middle of the ocean. And I felt so inadequate, I did not know what to do. It was the first time in my life I'd ever walked into a room where someone was, was in a coma. This year years ago. And I honestly had no idea what to do. And that happened so much to me that I just don't know what to do. And so what did I do? I began to pray in tongues. And I said to the family, just begin to pray in tongues with me. And they began to pray in tongues. But they had never, ever interpreted back to their minds. They just did what many Pentecostals and Charismatics have done. They just prayed in tongues. I, and so I taught them about, about praying in tongues and praying in English. I mean, he wasn't going anywhere. He was in a coma. So I, could have, I had a little time. And, and I began to pray in tongues, and I began to pray in my understanding. And as I prayed in my understanding, I heard myself begin to say in English what I was supposed to do. The Lord showed me that I was to get up on the bed with him and he showed me amongst the machines and tubes where I was to touch him. And I got up on the bed and I laid my hands on that spot that the Lord told me to touch and I began to pray. And then I left. And the next day, the man came out of the coma and got dressed and went home. Now, would that have happened anyway? Well, it hadn't. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. All I know is when I got there, I didn't have a clue as to what to do. 
But because I prayed in tongues and stopped and prayed in English, God showed me what to do. And God is no respecter of persons. If he will do that through me, then he will do that through you. Now, have you ever tried to organize God? Have you ever tried, uh, don't look so innocent, have you ever tried to tell God what to do and what not to do in your ministry? Have you tried to tell him when to do it and when not to do it? I have. I do that all the time. I say to God, I want you to manifest the word of the knowledge at the beginning of service. Well, then he'll wait to the end. I'll ask him to wait till the end and he'll start at the beginning. I've learned to quit telling him what to do. Okay? Uh, I remember I was in Swaziland in Southern Africa. John, you know where that is. And uh, I was asked to speak to Parliament. And there were about two or three hundred parliamentarians, businessmen, leaders of the nation. The vice president was there. And I said to the Lord, no word of knowledge. These are government men. Let me give them a greeting and let me invite them. Uh, let me invite them to the crusade. Let me be spiritual tonight. And business today. Well, how many of you know that God paid no attention to my plan? So I began to greet them and all of a sudden God gave me a word of knowledge. And I said, cut that out. This is not the time and this is not the place. The vice president's here, God, in case you didn't know. And all these parliamentarians were in a big banquet hall. Just cut that out and let's do that tonight at the service. Well, he paid no attention to me whatsoever. He kept hounding me to give the word of knowledge. Finally, I said, okay, I'll do it. And so I said, there's someone here who's deaf in one ear. And God is healing you. And nobody moved except the vice president. And uh, he began to weep. And I turned around and looked at him and he said, Dr. Roberts, I've been deaf in this ear for years. And when you said that, suddenly my ear popped and I can hear out of it. Now, I was so glad that I obeyed the Lord. <laughs> my dad used to say, you have to be instant in and out of season. You have to be ready. That's why it's so critical that you pray in tongues and pray in your own understanding so that you can have the flexibility and the, that's what you were talking about this morning, the adaptability to minister uh, to whoever you're ministering to in the way they need it, not the way you have prepared. Now, I'm not against preparation. Don't, make, don't misunderstand me. I, I prepared last night and this morning for today. But I am flexible so that if God interrupts and changes me and takes me in a different direction, I don't have to say, well, God, I'm so sorry. I can't do that because if I don't get my next point of my paper out, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was in Oakland, California preaching. My wife was with me. And all of a sudden, in the middle of my sermon, a dog began to bark. Now, we've been talking about dogs today. And I thought, well, it's curious if somebody would bring a dog to the service. I thought, well, maybe it's a, one of those seeing-eye dogs, you know, a help dog. 
but it was an unusual bark. It was like it was demonic. And I kept preaching and I kept looking around the room trying to find where that dog was. And all of a sudden, the back doors of the auditorium, like those doors back there, just flung open. And a man came walking through the door barking like a dog. And I realized what it wasn't a dog at all. It was a person that was barking. And uh, as he got closer, he came down the center aisle and people just began, their portable seats, people just began to move and let him come. <laughs> now I'm preaching. He's walking right down the center aisle at me. And when he got about 40 or 50 feet away, I saw that he was foaming at the mouth. Foam was coming out of his mouth and he was barking and he had a, a, a thin branch of a tree which he had fashioned into a whip and he was cracking it over the heads of people coming at me and I'm preaching and I turned to the pastors who were on the platform and I said why doesn't somebody do something about this when the Holy Spirit said why don't you do something about this I said God I'm preaching <laughs> And he just kept coming and coming and came right in front of me. And this holy boldness came over me. And I said, in the authority of the name of Jesus, I command this demonic spirit, come out of this man. Loose him and let him go. And that spirit began to come out of him. And I said, now, spirit of the devil, I bind you and I cast you to the uninhabited places of this earth that you'll enter no man again forever. And the man just wilted. His mouth dried up, he put the whip down, he looked up and said, where am I? And I said, you're in my service. Would you like to give your heart to the Lord? And I led him in a sinner's prayer as he stood there. And then I returned to try to finish my message and the Lord said, don't, don't preach the rest of that. I said, well, Lord, it's pretty good. <laughs> Has the Lord ever told you to quit before you're through? Has he ever said stop preaching and you went on? I said, Lord, I, I'm not through. I still have a few more points left. He said, give an altar call right now and watch what I do. Okay. Closed everything. Gave an altar call. 1,000 people stood and gave their hearts to Christ. Because they just seen a demonstration of the power of God. And they saw a man who was willing to be obedient and quit what he was planning and do what God wanted. And the power of the Holy Spirit, the magnetism of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues and interpreting back to your mind will help you to do that. So that you're not intimidated, you're not in fear, you're not worried about what God might do next. Now, I'm at that point in this message right now because I don't have anything else in the natural to say. But it's only 11.51. And we still have a few more minutes left. And I don't have a clue what I'm going to do right now. And I'm not remotely worried about it. 
Oftentimes we feel like if we just don't have something prepared to say, we don't know what to do. Sometimes it's good just to wait. Sometimes it's good to just say, well, let's just all stand and pray in the spirit and, and let the Lord show us what he wants to do. Well, is that, that I'm intimidated to do that. It, that makes me look foolish. Well, that you already look foolish. <laughs> they already think you're foolish. They already think you're crazy. They already think you're out of your mind. Just confirm it. You're in your spirit. Stop worrying about what somebody thinks. I couldn't care less what somebody thinks about me. Doesn't matter. Because that's not what governs my life. But if I will be obedient to the Holy Spirit and do what he says, what he shows me. If I'll pray in tongues and then stop and interpret back to my mind, he'll show me what to do. And he'll interrupt me with a word of knowledge. He'll do. I remember once uh, Kenneth Copeland came to preach at the university and uh, I was sitting behind him on the platform and right in the middle of Kenneth's message, the Lord gave me three distinct words of knowledge. I said, God, don't do that. Kenneth is preaching. <laughs> the wrong time, God. The Lord said, get up there and interrupt him. I said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt Kenneth. He's only preached an hour and he usually preaches for three hours. Kenneth can take the scripture, Jesus wept and preached for five hours. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt him. That would be rude. And I'm not going to be rude. He said, I said, get up there and interrupt him. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, if you want me to interrupt him, you tell Kenneth. Kenneth wheeled around, whirled around and looked, looked at me and said, I believe the Lord has a word of knowledge he wants you to give. was shocked. And I, so I got up and I, I gave the words of knowledge. People came forward, gave testimonies, and then he preached another hour. You know, you've got to be flexible. Got to be willing. One of the worst experiences of my life came in a conference. There was a, there was an evangelist from South America who came to have, wasn't a conference, a crusade, excuse me, came to Tulsa to have a crusade. And he came out to see me and asked me if I would sit on the platform and if I would give the benediction. And uh, he's a good man. He preached and gave an invitation. And my heart was, was hurting because I saw a lot of people there that were sick. And I knew they were sick. And I felt them in the spirit. And uh, I wanted him so much to pray the prayer of faith. But he didn't. And he left to go to a radio show. And they asked me if I would give the benediction. And when I got up there, I said to the Lord, now, Lord, this is not my meeting. Um, I'll do whatever you say, but if you give me a word of knowledge, I'll have to give it. And, uh, Lord, this is a group that does not, they don't, they, don't, uh, they don't operate that way. And I got up and I gave the benediction, and it hurt my heart because the Lord gave me several words of knowledge, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't give it because it would not have been received. And I did not want to cause consternation and hurt the man's ministry, but it hurt me deep inside. And I said, Lord, why? Why? Why did you let that happen? I asked this question that Dave said we shouldn't ask. Why? But the Lord answered me. And he said, I want you to feel what I feel when I'm not allowed to move. And I said, Lord, don't ever let me get to the place where I'm not sensitive enough to listen to you 
And whenever I have an opportunity to, to teach and minister to other ministers, that I can share this with them so that they will not be intimidated, but they will have the freedom and the willingness, and I might use the word intestinal fortitude at that point, to say, I'm going to obey God in Jesus' name. There have been times when I've given an invitation and 25,000 people have responded. There have also been times when I've given an invitation and not one single response. But that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to give the word. I'm not in management. I'm in sales. There are a lot of stores that you go into that you don't buy anything. And there are times when there's a tremendous response and there are times when there's very little or perhaps no response. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be faithful and to give the word. So if you can take anything from this rambling that I've given you today, if you can take anything, I hope you'll understand the magnetism and the power of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And that if you're not praying in tongues every day, and interpreting back to your mind, you're missing out on having real, honest, and sincere direction. And when you feel from time to time, as we all do, that you don't know what to do, that's the best time to pray in tongues. I woke up this morning praying in tongues and interpreting back. Had my prayer time this morning. I was praying in tongues and interpreting back. As uh, David was getting up to minister today, I was praying in tongues, uh, uh, believing that God was going to heavily anoint him today. And between the services, I got me a Dr. Pepper, which is nectar of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Well, I I don't drink coffee, so I, you know. But I was praying in tongues in the back room so that God would use me in this service. And I'll be praying in tongues this afternoon. And I don't do it for show. I don't put a badge on and say, look at me, I speak in tongues. Don't do that. Most of the time, no one will ever know I'm praying in tongues because I don't do it for show. But I do it. And I stop and I pray in my own language. And I get ideas, I get insights, I get concepts. Suddenly I know what to do when I didn't know what to do before. If I, can, if I can deposit anything in you today, it's this. Pray in tongues and then stop and pray in your own language. Let's stand together. Will you receive that today? Yes. Let's pray in tongues together right now. Holy Messi Yandanakasatanakashta. Stir up the Holy Spirit who is in you. Yes, I'll do that, Lord. Now begin to pray in English. 
Begin to pray in your own language. The first thing that comes into your mind, say it. If you're not used to doing it, I'll tell you, as you do it more and more, it's like a muscle, you'll develop it. And the Lord just reminded me as I was praying in the Spirit, He reminded me of something that I forgot to say. I forget to tell you, I forgot to tell you the rest of the story. Remember Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. I forgot to tell you about Niger. After I, after I prayed for the president's wife, the whole city opened to me. And government officials each night would come to the crusade and sit on the platform with me. When I arrived, they told me there were fewer than 35, excuse me, there were, there were fewer than 5,000 Christians in the whole country. There was an outpouring of miracles each night. And during that week, 35,000 people gave their hearts to the Lord. I forgot to tell you that. Then one more thing happened. After I left the country, Muammar Gaddafi, who was living at that time, the president of Libya, decided to come to Niger because he had heard about our crusade. He decided to have a Muslim healing crusade. And our missionary contacts went. We had had about 30 to 40,000 people a night in the crusade. He drew 10,000 and there was not one miracle. And when I heard the news, I said, it's because he's serving someone who has no miracles. But I'm serving the original miracle worker. One more time, let's pray in the spirit. Now you see, the Lord reminded me of that as I was praying in tongues. Yes, Father, yes, Father, yes, Father, yes, Father. Yes, I'll be obedient. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes. Thank you for healing that kneecap right now. Kneecap in the name of Jesus. The right kneecap where you fell in Jesus' name. That kneecap is being healed right now in the name of Jesus. That left eardrum is being healed right now in the name of Jesus. That right shoulder where you're not able to lift without pain, that's being healed right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for confirming your word with miracles and signs and wonders. Thank you that that, 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 yes, 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 the heart palpitations are leaving now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that testimonies will come forth throughout the rest of this conference of the power of God touching people's lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Brother Jerry and Sister Carolyn and for their ministry. Thank you for Jerry Seville Ministries International. Thank you for the anointing upon his life. Lord, I'm so looking forward to Sunday morning hearing what uh, you have spoken to him regarding 2019. I can't hardly wait to hear what you're going to say through him. I bless him in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that as he ministers tonight, there will be a powerful anointing upon him and upon Pastor David this afternoon in Jesus' name and upon us as we hear and as we take that word and as we go back to our ministries and we preach it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Nobody takes out a copyright on what they say, okay? Everything I say, I donate to you.
I'm donating it because you're going to steal it if I don't donate it. So I might as well plant it as a seed. John Osteen was also a mentor to me. And John would call me and say, Richard, quit stealing my sermons. I said, John, as long as you're alive, I'm going to steal every sermon. And I'm not going to give you one ounce of credit. You know, the first time you say it, you say, well, I heard Brother Osteen say. The next time you say it, well, the Holy Spirit revealed this unto me. So if I hear something good, I'm going to say it. I'm going to take what Pastor David said. I'm going to preach it on my program. I'm not going to give him one ounce of credit. I took Jerry's message on, on the glory. I preached it all over the world. I've not even mentioned him in it. And he said, he said, Richard, it's all right. I stole your dad blind. <laughs> so turnabout's fair play. Take it, preach it, use it. Minister to the people. I take out no copyright on it, you know. I give you my best. Expect you to use it. And then I expect God to give me his best. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Somebody give praise to the Lord. <laughs>